You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Oh, God. Who's going to be next? Ah! Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop it. Welcome everybody to Halloween Unleashed. I am your host, Chris Morgan, and today we are doing Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. And uh, I invited a good friend of mine, Dylan Cloud, onto the show uh, this week to uh, help us uh, figure out all these movie mistakes, one of his favorite sequels. So I want to turn it over to Dylan. Dylan, how's it going, man? Pretty good, Chris. How about yourself? Doing all right. Getting ready for vacation and uh, going to be gone for about ten days, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, sweet! Little little rest and relaxation for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dylan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know that you have a a YouTube podcast type going on. You've already interviewed uh, Matt Reed. Uh, have you done anything else since then? I've been trying to follow along, but uh, a lot going on. Tell us a little bit about uh, your show over there. So the show is called uh, cut, The Cutting Room Floor. I kind of get that from the old school term for like the editing room. They would cut films together. Um, and The Cutting Room Floor would be, you'd walk in, and would be a bunch of, you know, chopped up film on the floor. Um, right. It's from a horror group uh, on Facebook called Horror Forever. And yeah, it's my new artist interview show. And Matt was kind enough to be my first guest. Uh, I'm working on getting my next one on um, because we're going to be doing sort of a, a project reveal on that episode. Um, for a new mask that's being in the works at the moment. Cool. Uh, who's the artist, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it's either going to be Bill Blake or I'm trying to get Joshua Deadman on. Nice, nice. Good deal, man. Uh, well, I definitely uh, appreciate you extending the offer to, to come on and, and cover this with uh, with me today. Uh, what's um, I mean, you've been a spectator. I mean, so as you, as you well know... Uh, I try to get different perspectives with each guest that comes on. You know, uh, what are some of the things that you've liked about the show, and uh, what are some of the things that uh, you liked about this retrospective movie mistake series? Uh, well, as far as the show goes, I've been a big fan of you since you know it was still under the old name, just because you and and maybe Brandon Zachman are probably the most educated when it comes to the independent mask scene. So. 
Uh, Brandon helped me tremendously when I first got in the hobby last year, so it was just helping me to learn a lot more about it, um, learning more about the different artists out there, uh, the history, of your, for example, of, of you covering WMP or the He Mask, you know, just the whole history of the hobby over the last 20 years. As far as the retrospectives on the movies, you know, there's, there, there were a ton of movie mistakes that I had no idea existed, just again, because some of them, you know, you're, you're so involved in the action, you would never notice them. Um, it's been kind of interesting to learn about the history of my favorite movie series and little things that were here and there that I never really noticed. And, I, and especially Halloween 4 and all the stuff you sent me, I did not know about nearly half of these. Well, jumping right into it, uh, this week we are covering Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Let's go ahead and just, we'll, we'll go ahead and dive right in. Um, Halloween 4 released in uh, October of 1988. And still, in my my opinion, I, I have to keep going back to that. My opinion, it's the last good Halloween sequel that has come out. Um, you know, everyone's like, "Yeah, but you like Halloween Six, of course I do." But I'm not so naive and so blinded by it to say that that was an absolutely wonderful sequel. Halloween Four kept to the 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 roots of Halloween suffered a little bit from sequelitis, but at the same the same time, it was still tried and true, stayed with that formula, and they didn't try to go over the top with it. They didn't try to just necessarily re- replicate what came before it, um, but it still follow. It, it still had that nice flow into the timeline, whereas. Five, six, seven, eight, RZ one, RZ two, and of course twenty eighteen, uh, completely just went out in left field all by themselves, and 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 many, in many respects. So to me, Halloween four is still the last really good Halloween sequel. I would say, looking back now, after having seen them all, you're probably correct in that. But at the time when I was about eight, nine years old, I'd only seen the first one. And then for Christmas, I had gotten the four and five combo pack. So all I had for like five years was Halloween one, four, and five. So I grew to love those three as a unit. So by the, Halloween two was the last one I ever saw in the franchise. So I, I guess I have a skewed perspective of Halloween five. I quite enjoy that movie, but looking back in, in storyline retrospective, yeah, four, maybe H2O, I think the argument is for there. But yeah, four is definitely the last great sequel. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to Halloween H two O in just a few weeks. I mean, I think in, in retrospect and just the the concept of it, cool concept. But I just don't think that Steve Miner executed that film the way it needed to be. And I think that uh, it to to me, I always called it it was Ghostface wearing a Michael Myers mask. Well, literally, because Chris Duran was Ghostface in Spring too. Exactly. So, all right, <laughs> Halloween 4 uh, was number one at the box office for two weeks in a row. And, um, you know, it, it. Michael Myers is back. Donald Pleasance is back, even though we saw him pretty much. There's no, I mean, you can agree with me and say that there's no, there's really, there's no way he could have in real life survived that uh, fire at the end of Halloween 2, that explosion. Myers 2, for that oh. matter. Of course not, and that's actually one of the movie mistakes is that in logical canon that would have killed them both and incinerated their bodies. But the filmmakers um, said on numerous occasions, and there was actually a plan to recreate that explosion from the end of 2 to open the movie with, um, but they just decided to just kind of scar them both up visually enough to where 
they let the audience know that, hey, we haven't forgotten about this, but you kind of have to suspend your disbelief, as you do with most movies, so we can get these characters back on film for you. Yep, and that was one of the the, the problems I had with H2O and with uh, Resurrection, is that, um, now, I understand, hey, you got rid of 4, 5, and 6, I get it, fine, going back to uh, picking up 20 years after uh, Halloween 2, okay, I get it, I'm with you, but uh, Michael Myers, clean hands, no burns or anything on uh, on his body, and I'm like, okay, well, you you omitted four, five, and six, okay, I, I'm, you had me there, but there was still a fucking fire at the end of two, and he's coming out looking like Donald Pleasant said in part six, I had I had skin grafts or something, and I don't think serial killers getting skin grafts is uh, widely accepted in. Uh, He'd be running for his life, correct? Yeah, but maybe he had just you know some good health insurance. You know, he was a, he was a, a government pr- uh, property. You know, so maybe they they tracked him down, cleaned him up real nice, and then he got out again. Yeah, it was uh, the power of the runes. Power of the runes. Oh, oh wait, oh wait, no, they they got rid of that storyline. So I don't know, man. You know, m- maybe he was part of the stem cell research shit that brought his skin cells back. I I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Halloween four. So uh, you uh, you ran through a bunch of lists uh, of of mistakes. What you got for us today? So I want to kind of start off with this big one. It is obviously the mask. That's always the thing in all of these movies. There's always something wrong with the mask. So throughout the movie, you can see various shaped eye cuts of the mask. Um, that's one mistake. That it's not consistent for a, at least in a couple scenes in the movie. But the other big one is the, everyone knows the infamous school scene where Michael was wearing uh, was essentially an unaltered Kirk mask. Mm-hmm. Now, when I looked at the links you had sent me, one thing had said that the original intention for this movie was to not paint the mask white and leave it unaltered. I, I would have liked that. that. That would be very interesting, but uh, there's a Halloween 4, 5, and 6 documentary that was made for the box kit that came out four years ago. And the filmmakers say that they had actually contacted Don Post to have them just go ahead and alter some some Kirk masks for them and send them to them. But when they arrived, they were just regular Kirk masks, painted, blonde hair, all that stuff. So they had to scramble to paint them, fix the hair, all that. So that's why in the film, there's almost no resemblance to the Kirk mask because there's a thick layer of white paint hiding all the features. And the hair so slick that they had to paint it brown and slick it back and fuck with it. And they didn't exactly know what they were doing, so that's where the con. And they just kind of, in the in the midst of being in a scramble, grabbed the wrong mask during that scene because it was one of the first things they shot, and they just never had time to go back and fix it. Yeah, and there's, I, I mean, you know, you do a show called The Cutting Room Floor, so I mean, obviously, you you have some knowledge in 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 the film industry. Um, working on sets, I can honestly tell you, and. This is not an excuse for a white mask or a flesh-colored mask, blonde hair versus dark hair. I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody on that film. But I do know for a fact that Halloween 4 was shot in 38 days and uh, in freezing cold uh, Salt Lake City, Utah at the time. Um, It was still cold. And they were on set, I think, 14, 15, 16 hours a day. I mean, this was back in 88. There was a big... Big difference when it came to uh, labor laws and different things. Of things that you can do back then can't do today. But 
truth is, is when you're moving that fast and shooting that fast and working those long of hours, not sleeping and shit like that's going to happen. You know, it's just, uh, you hope that you catch it while you're on the set and it doesn't make it to film, but sometimes you have to make a decision. Hey, do we have the money to go back and reshoot that? Or can we just live with it and try to edit around it? And you hope any editor that does it for a living, they think that they can make Jesus walk on water, you know, in, in, in the editing room. And in most cases they can, but I think a lot of times they, they think that they can cut around it with different coverage than realize when they get into the editing bay, realize that they don't have the coverage they need to edit around that. And they say, well, fuck it. This is just going to end up being what it is. And, We'll just kind of live with it because they didn't have the budget to go back. I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah, and like you said, and, you know, and people will think, well, they did the first Halloween in three weeks, but they also shot that in Pasadena in the spring. So, like you said, when you're in Salt Lake City, they almost um, one night because it was so cold. Donald Pleasance had had his hat on all night, and they lost that entire night's footage because, of course, his character doesn't wear a hat in the movies. So they had to scrap all that footage because it's so cold. They were so tired that no one noticed it. And they end up losing, you know, five, six hours worth of footage. And at the time, Pleasance being so old, he didn't have many hours a day to work despite what he wanted to do. You know, they had to limit what he could do because, you know, he was an elderly gentleman. Sure. And uh, even going back to that, what people don't realize is when you go back and look at the first Halloween, yes, it was shot in three weeks. But also at the same time, um, they didn't have the budget that Halloween 4 had. And so they had to condense a lot of their locations. They probably spent like, for instance, if they're shooting at the Doyle house in part one, they probably spent the entire time that they needed to shoot at that house to get every scene done before moving on. Whereas Halloween four, um, it's been well documented that they were like in a freaking boot camp for 38 days because they, I mean, there was multiple locations, uh, much more extravagant stunts and different things going on. Uh, and not to mention, like, like we just talked about the, the, the weather, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's fair to say when you're comparing those two, it's like comparing apples to oranges. It's like, you know, it's much easier to shoot in one location for a couple of days and not get wore out than as I'm shooting here in the morning than driving across town shooting over here in the afternoon because a lot of times it's schedule conflicts. A lot of times it's what do I have access to on what day and what time. They may have only had, for instance, access to the Vincent store, uh, drugstore for six hours on one day. I mean, that happens. And if that would have happened... Now, guess what? You've just uh, you just attached a ticking time bomb to you, and you've got to get this done in this amount of times because there's no coming back here. There's no there's no uh, re- re- redos. There is no tomorrow. So, a lot of times you got to adjust on the fly when it comes to uh, some of these shoots, especially a low budget horror movie that has been well documented that it would, like I said, it was like a boot camp for 38 days. And I give all the credit in the world to filmmakers. And I'm sure you're aware of this, but, but almost never will filmmakers shoot a movie in, in chronological order. So they will a lot of times shoot the ending of a movie first, which yeah. I give all the credit to the actors who can 
portray themselves as having been friends for the last two hours that we've been watching, but really they're shooting that scene first. So they've got to juggle, okay, we've done this for this scene, this for that scene, this is the middle, that's the end. So it's very difficult to get everything perfectly right. Again, not making excuses, but these things are going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I know in my, in my history, like, you know, just... You know, I'm bringing these up not to say, well, you know, when I did my and I'm not bragging or being pompous or arrogant about it. But, you know, I I'm only bringing these up because, I mean, I've done countless other things, but these are the things that people know my work by uh, just because it's out there. Uh, But when I did H3O and H35, I know I always the way I tried to schedule things. I mean, obviously, access to location is huge. But I looked at some of the scenes like, okay, if we're shooting these, let's shoot these first because I need character A and character B. I need them to be much further along in their chemistry and their relationships when we get to shooting these scenes. Because if we start out shooting this, it'll be a chance for them to grow and bond together. And then by the time we get to that harder scene they've already worked with each other for a couple of days and now it's going to be easier to shoot that does that does that make sense yeah absolutely and you know you had the luxury of being able to you know kind of dictate that a little bit sometimes when you're like under a studio umbrella they just tell you get it done and get it done for this amount of time and this amount of money and however fuck you have to do it absolutely they don't give a fuck about all that stuff so um yeah good deal all right so um yeah Definitely a fuck up with the mask. It's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, another one. Um, this one's a big one. It's it, 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 um, in the opening scene when the doc is typing Michael's file. He types his middle initial as M. As we know, his middle name is Audrey, which starts with an A. Um, so that's that is a, a continuity mistake. But I think the reason for that is that is only revealed in an extra scene that was shot for Halloween One's TV version. And when the filmmakers, you know, not all of them have worked on previous films. So when they're reviewing the movies, they may not have, that may not have been a version that they had the access to. So maybe they just made something up because they didn't know it had already been assigned. Sure. You know, the, the one thing I always wondered too, and I mean, this probably has no bearing on it whatsoever. This is just my, my interpretation of trying to be able to accept that mistake. Because I mean, that is just as apparent as can be whenever you're working on a, on a, on a TV series or, or a movie sequel, whatever it is. I mean, you have access to previous pre like, like a previous Bible, basically, you know, like a episodic Bible or a film Bible, like, or, you know, like a story Bible. Um, you know, whenever you're hired to come on and write, you have to kind of get to know the backstory and the history, especially in a, in a film franchise. So what what I always kind of tried to come up with to accept it, and this has not been put out anywhere, this is just me in my own head, but for numerous years I just tried to accept it as, okay, I know behind the scenes there was a, a big war going on between uh, Deborah Hill, John Carpenter, and the Akkads. So I'm like, okay, well, what if... What if, let's say, John Carpenter owned Michael Audrey Myers? So the studio had to come up with and give him Michael M. Myers so that they didn't have 
this back and forth legal bullshit going on. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, and as we know, like if like on the the Halloween thirty box that you know that box that only has movies one, four, five. There Halloween two for the longest time was kind of left out in limbo. So maybe because that TV footage was shot under the Universal umbrella during the filming of Halloween two, maybe they just weren't allowed to reference it because it was owned by Universal. Yeah, and that's that that's another problem too. Is like when you have multiple distributors you have multiple cooks in the kitchen and different things so yeah i mean that's that's really why it was left out for the longest time was you know completely different studio and i think you know the uh the the studio that helped release it for distribution in the theaters was not involved in the distribution for home video that ended up for four and five that was cbs fox so it's like okay so now you go from a different studio for the theatrical version now to a different ownership for the distribution on home video release. Now you have a huge mess, you know, and especially when you're trying to get that later down the road, which we didn't know back in 1988, but you know, box sets and uh, DVDs and, and digital downloads, all that stuff that, that that's going to play a big role in the future that, they didn't have the forethought or the access to the information to know that that was going to be a thing in 30 years. Oh yeah. And just by the fact that we have this Halloween box set that we have now is just a complete miracle. And that's the thing with a lot of horror franchises. They have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a dozen sequels. Almost never are they made under one film umbrella. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. So, all right. Uh, what's next? What else you got? So another one is when, um, at the end of the movie, when the, the guys in the pickup truck are driving them out towards the state troopers, Michael is under the truck just by the sake that we see him climb into the bed of the truck. But when you see them driving down the road, looking under the truck, you don't see him. Right. So yeah. again, you know, that's one of those things. Again, it's dark. It's nighttime. It's not, I don't know if it's really completely necessary for them to shoot a scene with George Wilbur hanging from under a moving pickup truck. We understand by the sake that he climbs up and under it later. Okay, he's under the truck. I mean, we can we can believe that without having to see that. Yeah, I, I mean, in a sense, but you know that that scene is always. I mean, this is just me as a practical thinker. It, that scene always bothered me because I'm like, okay, well, when the fuck did he get under the truck? Number one, and nobody saw or heard him at all trying to get himself in position to be able to hold on to all this shit. I mean, nobody. And then when he's climbing up and he's literally launching motherfuckers off the back, everybody's just still looking forward and not paying attention. I'm like, how do you fucking not hear that? You got the guy in the cab realizing there's some noise going on. You're literally standing a foot away from where guys are getting fucking launched off this truck and you don't hear a damn thing. Made no sense to me. It's another continuity mistake, and I guess the only thing that I can maybe try to justify this is maybe, you know, he's standing in the, in the blaring wind going 50 miles an hour, but you would at least feel the motion. And I've also, like you said, wondered, if she shoots him with a fire extinguisher and then immediately bolts out of the school with Jamie, so she's looking towards them in the truck, they're looking towards her, so they would have seen him coming out of the building. She would have seen him walking behind the truck and climbing underneath it. So, yeah, I have no idea. There's, I can't figure out a way in my mind to justify how he got under that truck without anybody noticing. 
Yeah, what did he fucking army crawl from the back of the school all the way to the front and uh, knew exactly where to crawl and not how and not make noise ruffling through the bushes and everything else to be able to get underneath there? I just I always found that is, you know, if if I'm looking at just practical shit, I'm like, yeah, there's there's no way that could have happened without him not being seen. Oh, yeah, it's exciting, but makes little sense in reality. Yep. All right, moving on. All right, so next is in the scene where they're in the attic running from Michael. They throw all the luggage down the stairs to block him from coming up. And you only see them throw eh, three or four things. But when you look down the stairs later, there's a whole bunch of shit that they did not throw. Okay. But, you know, again, again, they're, they're just visualizing that they're throwing stuff down there. I don't think they need to spend an extra minute and a half showing them throwing a chair and a sleeping bag and all that. Just, you know, we get the point. They throw some shit out of keep you down there. Or have them break the fourth wall and look at us and say, I'm throwing a suitcase now, so make sure that you pay attention to this later because it's going to be on the stairs. N- nobody gives a fuck. I mean, it's just shit being launched on the stairs. Right. Uh, another one. And this is kind of a complaint for several scenes. It says um, during several points in the movie, whenever Michael's being shot at, it becomes very apparent that he is wearing protective padding underneath the jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that's the one thing like even, you know, when when I watched the movie for the first time, um, you know, quick story is like, you know, my first intro to the Halloween series was Halloween four. So I was 11 when I saw it. Um, and I remember as an 11 year old watching it for the first time, I was like, you know, why does, why does he look weird? You know, I always thought that he looked weird when I got older. I found out he had to wear like a hockey guard to make himself look bigger, all this shit. Uh, but I always, always going back, like, you know, when I was 11 years old watching that for the first time, I was like, he just, he looks weird. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why they tried to make him look so big, considering he was like a normal-sized human for the first two movies, and then would later again sequelitis, man. Yep. Another one, uh, during the end scene, where they're lighting him up, shooting him up real good, if you look to the right, there's a, a, a state trooper, or maybe it's the left side of the screen, lighting a flare, not a flare, a stick of dynamite, which we would later, later see that they threw down the mine shaft to blow him up. But a second later, when it pans back to him, He's not holding the stick to dynamite. It's magic. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just an editing mistake. Yeah, happens all the time. Another big one, and this even bothered me as a child, in the scene in the opening when Jamie's in the closet and she's looking through pictures of her mom, one of them is so blatantly, obviously a still from Halloween, one of her sitting on the ledge with the pumpkin, where no one would have been taking that picture and nobody would have it. Dude, Ben Tramer took that picture, man. He was a fucking creeper and a stalker, and he was looking at her from across the street. Had his dick in his one hand, had the camera in the other, and, man, he was beating that motherfucker into oblivion as he was taking that shot. And then she happened to take a glimpse, and she smiled, obviously, because she was... That's why the that's why it, that was a cut scene, man. Ben Tramer was a fucking creeper from the beginning. That's, that's why that's, you know people that's where that picture came from. They need to quit feeling so bad that he got hit by a car. He that motherfucker was a perv. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, some can argue that, you know, maybe it was Ben Tramer that was after her because they were doing some sort of a role play thing. And Michael Myers was just an imagination of everybody for the longest time. Yeah, that's, that's why Lori could never go out. Ben always had her tied up in the basement. That's right. Uh, another one here is when Michael sticks his thumb in the guy's head in the ambulance. Uh, you can see the inside of the fake hand. I've never noticed this, but apparently somebody else has. I thought that scene was executed quite well. Me too. I never saw the inside of the fake hand. I'm I'm gonna have to go and watch that. Yeah, because I never noticed the uh, like the fake walls on Halloween two during the explosion scene until that was pointed out, and I went back and watched. But yeah, it's there. But maybe it's there. Um, another one is when he goes into the garage, stabs the guy, and gets the jumpsuit. Later on, there's no hole, no blood on on the uh, coveralls that would have obviously been there stabbing this guy with a metal spike. The guy clearly opened the jumpsuit before he got stabbed and knew he was going to take it anyway and just didn't want to mess up the suit. That's all it was. He's just trying to be polite. You know, this guy's going to steal his clothes. He might as well, you know, keep him clean. Yeah, it's like when you're wrestling with your girl on the bed and, you know, she's like, no, 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 no. And then finally she's like, all right, hurry up. You know, it's it was the same thing. He 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 looked up, saw he was about to die. And he's like, no, no, no. Oh, fuck it. Go ahead. And he rips it open. Yeah. I don't want you to have blood on you while you're, as you're out chopping at teenagers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just common courtesy, man. Now, another one is uh, there's a couple of mistakes in the scene with Rachel and the sheriff's daughter where she throws mm. a cup of coffee at her. <laughs> throws a cup of coffee at her. But, but if you look, there's no stain on the shirt. And then also when she says, here, have some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was no coffee stains. There was other type of stains. Just saying. <laughs> and then uh, the sound does not quite uh, add up when she said, here, have some coffee. It, it's like coffee or like, you know, you don't see her mouth moving or something to that effect. Yeah, ADR at its finest. And for those that don't know what ADR stands for, automatic dialogue replacement. It's done in post-production. Um, in the scene where Rachel sees Michael in the alley and starts running away, her purse will disappear and reappear a couple of times. Power of the runes, man. He's sucking all that money up. That's right. Um, when Another one is when Michael is being put in the ambulance at the beginning of the movie, only the woman gets in, but when they start to drive off, the man is seen sitting in front of Michael. Yeah, I never noticed that, to be honest with you, but now this shit's going to stand out like a sore thumb, for sure. Well, and yeah, but a lot of people don't realize that ambulances have multiple doors. Ones, they usually have side door or back door, and then you can also get to the back of the ambulance from where the drivers are sitting, which was another thing. Um, when they, Some people say there is an error with the way they counted up the bodies in... Um, in Halloween for when the, the the bridge crash scene and they count the number of bodies, but there were two ambulance drivers um, driving that ambulance. If you can, you can see them in the opening of the movie when the ambulance is driving through the rain. And then also when the two of them are in the back, they're talking about Jamie. You can see through the window, you can see the two of them. So the numbers are in fact correct. You know, um, little sidebar here. Cause like, you know, you're talking about that scene about uh, being thrown and you know, how many people were in the, 
And well, I'm sorry. How many people were in the bus? <laughs> they kept referring to. I'm like, wait a minute. It's an ambulance. Why are you calling it a bus? But anyway, um, you know, Michael Pataki, which is uh, was in Rocky Four as Drago's uh, what was it, manager or whatever he was. But when he starts going off on that uh, that rant after Loomis is like, now he's escaped, and then Pataki's like. You know, uh, we don't know that. You know, Michael could have been thrown from the bus. And even if by some miracle he was conscious, his muscles would be totally useless. I'm sitting there listening to that. I'm like, it sounds like he's talking about Drago and Apollo Creed and shit. You know, it's like the way he delivered that. I was like, man, you could, you know, I always wondered what happened to that guy after Drago picked him up by the throat and threw him out into the crowd in Rocky Four. Well, now we know he, he went to Haddonfield and became a doctor. I never made that connection that that was the same actor until just now. Yep. Yep. Same, same guy. That is fucking cool. And now that you mention it, yeah, it's weird how he calls it a bus. I always chalk that up to Loomis, you know, Donald Pleasant's just being British and that being kind of a, an off the cuff thing that he said by accident. But yeah, but then, but then the other doctor also says bus, which he's English or American. So that, that doesn't add up. Yeah. It, it just, it always struck me as odd. You know, it's like, did they originally have him escaping from an institution and it was a bus in the original script and they just never changed the wording when they got to shooting it? I Who knows? Um, another one, when they're, when he, when um, Loomis walks away from Hoffman, he's like, Loomis, Loomis. Um, you know, he's yelling, but if you look at the audio, the way he's talking, he's not actually yelling. Again, some ADR. Sure. Um, some, let's see. When Jamie is trying to escape from Michael from under the bed, when she, he grabs her foot, there are claw marks in the carpet, but in the next shot, they are gone. I never noticed that. I just, I don't know. I, I guess I wasn't paying that close of attention to claw marks, but I'll take their word for it. I just figured that was because she's now farther along the carpet and is now laying on top of where they were. Yeah. I mean, that's a definitely a plausible thing. I think, I think that's a little nitpicky. I know you had messaged me last night saying some of this stuff is pretty nitpicky. I think that is one of them. Yeah. I think a lot of these are, and I think some of these you have to literally like, be like a CinemaSins writer and just sitting around just trying to find this shit. But some of this is shit that the CinemaSins people wouldn't even care about. Yep. Uh, like, like for example, when uh, Rachel and Jamie are sliding down the roof, they look down and you can see a bicycle on the ground. But when Jamie later ends up on that lawn, there's no bicycle. Loomis moved it. Exactly. And then there's several of them where they say in various scenes that the cameraman is reflected in windows and in mirrors. I cannot for the life of me ever remember seeing a cameraman. Did they specify where? So this one says the cameraman's reflected in the window when Dr. Loomis runs to the window to look for Michael, so I'm assuming that's in the gas station. And then this one says reflected on the side of Lindsay's car when Rachel picks up Jamie. Um, Never noticed that. I will be looking for him Mm. now. And then at the end scene where Meeker picks them up and they're driving to his house, you can see Michael standing in the middle of the road. 
This is right before that scene ends. Crew making the smoke below are visible on the left side of the screen. I'll have to look at that, too. Um, some of these are going to be along the lines of, like, the palm tree in Halloween 1, saying that, you know, mountains are visible in certain parts of the movie, um, but there are no mountains in the state of Illinois. Fiction can be fun. <laughs> and then also saying that when they say that uh, Sheriff Rackett had moved 3,000 miles away to St. Petersburg, um, Illinois is not even remotely close to 3,000 miles away from St. Petersburg. Maybe had to But again, nice. who's going to fucking fact check that shit? Apparently some dumbass who came up with some of these movie mistakes. This one, this one genuinely pisses me off. It's along the lines of the one uh, in Halloween 2 where they said, there wouldn't be any ether in a hospital in Hallow- in 1978. All right, fuck you. We just need a flammable liquid in there. It's been in the realm of possibility. This one says, the patrol cars and the uniforms read Hall- Haddonfield Police Department. And several of them refer to the police station. Yet Meeker is a sheriff and not a police chief. Therefore, it should say Warren County Sheriff's Department instead of Haddonfield Police Department. Yeah, who, <laughs> in my mind, who fucking cares? <laughs> you know? I mean, one, I didn't even know that a police chief and a sheriff cannot be interchangeable terms, but who in the motherfuck cares about that? Definitely not me. That's why I was laughing at it. I'm like, Jesus, you know, like, let's... Let's get real nitpicky here. This is, I mean, this is going, this is going a little much. Another one is when the kids dressed as Michael are all circling around Miku and Loomis and the kids. He says, if I catch you again, it'll be a weekend in jail. But Halloween in 1988 fell on a Monday. Okay. I'm like, for fuck's sake, the movie comes out on a Friday. Just goddamn yeah, or how about, this, or how about just not think about it that much and just fucking go with it? Who cares? It's a line. It's a one-off line. Has no significance to the plot. Gives a shit. Because I tell you what, when I watch movies from that weren't released until you know nine years before I was born, the first thing I want to go do is fact check the holiday dates of that year. Yep, I need to check the factual dates and make sure that. When he said this line at the 47 minute and 31 second mark that he was factual and accurate. And it's like, seriously, you wonder why you're still a virgin. Go fuck off somewhere. This one is the most fucking Steve Carell, 40 year old virgin bullshit I've ever read in my life. It says when Rachel and Jamie are discussing getting ice cream when they pick her up, Jamie asks, can I get double scoops? And Rachel says, sure. But at the time of filming in 1988, Dairy Queen was offering soft serve ice cream, which, of course, cannot be scooped. At the time of the film, Dairy Queen did briefly test hard ice cream, which could be scooped, but it did not last long. Did, did they talk about Dairy Queen? Because th- this is news to me. I, I always thought that they just talked about ice cream in general, and I didn't think that they put a brand behind it. No, they do. Lindsay asked them, so where am I dropping you? The discount mart or the Dairy Queen? But it's it's very brief and passing. Ah, uh, okay. Say, they do say Dairy Queen. Okay. 
And then on the note, on the note of Lindsay, her character in the end credits is listed as Leslie and not Lindsay, which is the actor's real name. Awesome. So um, the when they're transferring Michael back to Smith's Grove in the beginning of the movie, the personnel says Smith's Grove Sanitarium on their jackets, but the ambulance is listed as Smith Grove, no S. <laughs> okay. And now that I'm thinking about it, the whole point of him escaping in Halloween Moon was that they were moving him away from Smith's Grove, but now the opening of this movie is them bringing him back. Yeah, well, it didn't work um, moving him away from us. Let's get him back here. Pronto. They need to leave this motherfucker wherever the hell he is. Because every yeah. time they try to move him down. Don't they realize if you put this motherfucker in one spot, typically everybody's okay. It's when you think that you can move him is when problems start to arise. Just leave this dude alone. That's right. Just like Britney Spears. Leave Britney alone. Leave Michael alone. He's misunderstood. That's right. Another one, when Brady is loading the shotgun and Michael's coming up the stairs to get him, when Brady looks up and Michael's right in front of him, you can see the front door of the house, um, which, of course, if they're on the balcony, would not be possible. Right. Makes sense. This this one right here always did kind of bother me. So it's when Deputy Logan gets in his car and he he radios back to Meeker. He's like, oh, I just heard about the police station, which, of course, he wouldn't have heard about it because everyone was dead. But he does not see Michael, this very large human being, laying in the back of his cop car. And then yeah. when he comes out later at Meeker's house, the door is open, which, of course, you cannot get out the back of a cop car without someone letting you out. And he just thinks, hmm, that's odd, and thinks nothing of it again. But there's a murderer running around the streets. Yep, I, uh, that, that always bothered me, too. I'm like, well, this is a very, very convenient plot device. Oh, uh, the guard saying that Michael killed 16 people, although we only, uh, if you count it, he only killed 14 people in Halloween's 1 and 2 combined. Yeah, I think, I think it was just intended, hey, you know, he, he killed a couple people off screen that we just didn't see. I mean, I, that's, that's the way I always chalked it up. I didn't, I didn't ever hold him to that. Yeah, you know, there could have been triple people we didn't see, or, of course, you know, these stories always get exaggerated all the time. Oh, he killed 65 people back then, man. This is very true. Um, Another one is when Jamie's on the sidewalk calling for Rachel to come find her. You can see tulips blooming in the background, of course, would not be happening in spring of Illinois. (laughs) Again, people have too much time on their hands. I couldn't even identify a fucking tulip. I never wait, even noticed any fucking flowers. In that wait movie. a minute. I'm I'm listening to her trying to call out for help, and fuck, let me back that up. Is that a tulip? Holy shit. I need to look that up and see if that's even possible in 1988 in whenever they filmed this. I have to look that up. I mean, seriously, <laughs> my God. By God, it's a tulip. That tulip had a family. That son of a bitch! That he's a cold bastard. He's got a tulip, tulip, tulip. Good God! <laughs> Another one um, when uh, Michael grabs Rachel from inside of the cab of the truck and is grabbing her sweater. You can hear tearing sounds before it actually begins to rip. Nice. Which you know, again, her fucking shirt's coming off. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, take it off. Just go ahead and just, 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 just get it out there, man. 
end of, end of the life sex, man. That's right. I mean, I would have voted for a side movie, like a, like a prequel of sorts, of Kelly Meeker and Rachel and some HLA, hot lesbian action in a movie all by themselves. And no matter which one strips the other one first, the audience wins. Exactly. And you got to have Eric Bischoff there to narrate. Nah, fuck that. Have 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 Lindsay from the car be the special guest referee, and maybe she accidentally gets in the wrong spot, and her top comes off too. Oh man, that see now this is a whole different movie. Now we have to write this movie. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we have to go That's pitch the- it to them and see if they'll do it in 2019. Uh, based on, on some of the interviews you see these, these 80s actors portraying, doesn't do anything for a fucking hot dog and a handshake. <laughs> well, I can't see uh, Ellie Cornell doing it, but I could definitely see um, what's her real name? Um, Kelly Meeker, who plays Kelly Meeker. Um, ah, shit, what is her name? Kathleen. Yeah. Kathleen Kinmont. I can definitely see her do it. She She seems like she's a little freak. We can throw Danielle Harrison there or get the girl to play Tina. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. All right, let's see. Michael throws the Bucky into the power grid, which, of course, knocked out all the power in Haddonfield. Although you can see some light sources in the movie that just are too bright to be the moon. Well, shit, I mean, we see that all the time in The Walking Dead now. I mean, they're in the middle of the fucking forest, and it looks like that you got uh, an entire Walmart supercenter, like, on the other side of the trees lighting this fucking thing, and it's like, uh, I'm sorry, even on a full moon, it's not full moon all the time, number one. Number two, the moon may give you an extra little bit of soft lighting, but it's not going to uh, light up a fucking forest with harsh lights like that and give you perfect edge light and all this other shit. So I just look at it. That's just that's just Hollywood being Hollywood, and the lighting never makes any sense. It's not practical for I sure. Agree. And again, you know, like you know, like you just did the whole the, the whole podcast on, on on camera shooting and lighting and how and how important that is. A lot of people don't realize if you're actually on a movie set, all the lighting that is there is not very visual on film. They have to have copious amounts of almost stadium esque lighting just to get a dark scene to be visible on film, especially for cameras in 1988. Oh, yeah. And not just that is, you know, it's in order to get certain shadows for lights to break exactly where it needs to break, there's something called flags. And uh, they get a C-stand, which is just an additional stand that they take a... a um, it's, it's, I mean, to try to explain this, it's like a rectangle bar and they come in various sizes and they have black fabric stretched all the way through and no light can penetrate that fabric. So what they'll do is they'll put it on this separate stand and kind of angle it in a way so that they can edge off certain light. So if I'm walking through, let's say walking down a hallway and I want person A to cross this area, but I want the person in behind them to drop into darkness the way they flag that shot off or flag that light off will allow that to happen. So, hundred percent agree with you. There's so much. There's so much that goes into lighting a a movie set, which is you know not trying to get off on a tangent here, but that's why I always laugh 
I mean, and you probably see this all the time. I know I do, and every time I, I see it, I roll my eyes and laugh. And I'm like, where you got some asshole that says, hey, why don't you try taking pictures in natural light? And I'm like, first of all, if you do that, chances are the person's not going to know how to take the picture anyway in natural light to make it look like it actually looks. That's number one. Number two is define natural light. You want it out in the broad sunlight like every shot in the entire movie is done? Oh, that didn't happen? Okay, so what exactly are you fucking asking? You know, be be specific. So, you know, that 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 comment has always just uh popped me a little bit. Yeah, and again, like like you said with the movie shoot, the cameras have come a long way. Like for example, I can take pretty good photos with my cam with my phone at night that are pretty well lit, but you have to overexpose the shit out of them to do that and you lose a lot of detail using natural light. And it so gets, you have to and it gets grainy as shit too. And then it's super fucking grainy. Which again, yeah. It's cool I can see that car at the end of the street. Can't tell what the fuck it is, but I can see headlights. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, just take a take a picture in a well lit room and know how to play with your exposure. Uh, find that find that piece of weathering that is very faint that you can see with your natural eye, and just just try to bring it up on the on the uh, exposure on your camera. And chances are you're going to end up with a pretty nice exposed pick. Oh yeah, and I had, uh, played with my camera settings and I took that picture of my H1 that I sent you. But when I walked out in the natural sunlight with those exact same settings. My whole screen just went white because, again, yep. my exposure and all that was set to my internal bedroom, not for natural daytime full sunlight. Exactly. Which so is a whole other set of exposure settings. Which is why I just said a few minutes ago when someone says, well, take it in natural light. Okay, well, do you want it in natural light? you want me to open up all my window blinds and let light pour in? Do you want me to take it out in broad sunlight? Do you want me to put it near a window and have, sh- I mean, ex- just get more specific on that question because there's, there's about 10 different ways you can take that and they're all right and they're all wrong. You know, it just depends on what your perception of that is. So I think sometimes when s- someone says, take a picture of a natural light, this is the way I always interpret it because this is the way it was interpreted 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, back, back in, back in my day. Um, that was always someone being a dick and trying to insult someone to basically say that, hey, yeah, the picture looks good, but that's not how the mask really looks because this art this artist does X, Y, and Z. Why don't you show a picture of it in broad, bright light so that we can all see what it really looks like? And that's always been kind of the consensus, at least behind the scenes, because people are like, hey, watch, I'm going to troll this motherfucker or I'm going to piss this dude off. It happens all the time, and I'm just like, come on, don't be a dick. Just just say what's on your mind. Uh, be straight up and tell them what you're really looking for. You know, Don't be passive-aggressive about it. Just be honest. No, if you do a natural sunlight, you have to do it at exactly 3.6 feet away with the right type of cumulus clouds covering 65% of the sun's rays. You have to have it at a 45-degree angle with the right DSLR camera. You know, people just being assholes. And even no matter how well you play with your settings, every camera's different. You could take yep. three fucking cameras with the exact same settings 
on the same fucking thing, and the and the and you know the color of the mask might come out slightly different in each one because there might be three different brands, you know. Well, it's the same thing, you know. Again, going back, you know, saying, um, you know, I think I said it last week, is you can hand three different directors the same exact script, and you're going to have three different movies because everybody visualizes differently. It's interpretation. The interpretation is going to be different between me, you, and everybody else. So that goes back to the opinions are like assholes argument. It's like, hey, I have an outlook that it looks this way. You have an outlook that it looks this way. At the end of the day, no matter how much we sit here and debate that, am I going to change it? No. Are you going to change it? No. So what's the point of the conversation? So I think... I think when it comes down to lighting and different things, and I know we just got off on a long sidebar, and I do apologize, but I just I felt like this needed to be covered because it kind of came up. It, but you know, bottom line is is if you're telling someone to take pictures in natural light, be specific. What what are you trying to see that you're not seeing, and tell the person that. So then at that point, you go from not being a trolling dickhead to being someone that is actually looking to see more of a specific something. Does that? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. All right, perfect. All right, back on track. Moving on, unless you got anything else to add. All right, let's see. So when Rachel's saying, die, you son of a bitch, right before she runs Michael down, her mouth is only saying, die, son of a bitch. Again, ADR, post-movie, you know. You're in the middle of a big action scene trying to get this truck moving. You're not, you, know, you may mess the thing up here, too, but, you know, the rest of the scene is fine. Yep, agreed. Let's see. Um, when Rachel is looking for Jamie and she sees Michael, he is what appears to be directly ahead of her. Um, but when she sees him and uh, she starts running, the way her orientation is kind of makes it like she's running towards him instead of the opposite direction. I think that might just be, you know, disorientation from the way she's spinning around a bunch, but she's definitely running away from and she hops over a fence. Yeah, and the the way I always took that scene as well, I mean, I, I totally 100% agree. The other way I took that scene was there was one real Michael and the rest were all those guys fucking with him or fucking with her, you know, and I think that that's, that was part of the disorientation. That That's the way I always took that scene, at, at least in my mind. Uh, another one is, and this one has a, an interesting backstory, it's my, it's Loomis's facial scar will actually change slightly throughout the film, and that is actually because, uh, of course, you know, they had to give some kind of visual scars so the fans knew the filmmakers didn't forget about that fire, but Loomis's, I mean, Pleasance's girlfriend at the time looked at his face and said, ah, oh, you've got a fried egg on your face. So he demanded that they get him a new appliance, which, of course, they'd already shot a couple scenes of the movie, so some of them have that more refined facial scarring, while the other one's a little, a little, uh, a little more subtle. Agreed. Um, this one, oh, for God's sakes, the blue sedan that Loomis parks at the gas station is different than the one that blows up minutes later. The vehicle he parked is a 1982-83 Chevy Malibu with four headlights, lamps, and one kind of grill. The vehicle that explodes is a 1981 Malibu with two headlamps and a different grill. Oh, God. God. <laughs> for fuck's sake. 
I bet you the person that, that I, I bet you the person that came up with that has a fucking garden gnome in their in front of their house, and they have but a collection of cats. Look, and then and then one of these that talks about where the camera can be seen in the reflection in the window. It says best scene on two thousand three limited edition DVD. All right. It's just for fuck's sake, like you took the time to watch all the 65 versions of this thing on home media just to find the one where you can see that fist. He's got a garden gnome. He's got a garden gnome. Um, this one and he's a Brady virgin. 65 year old fucking virgin. That's right. When Brady shoots the door of the locked house, he can't open it because it's metal. But when Loomis shoots the lock on the schoolhouse, it can be, but it's also metal. Well, no, because he's shooting a fucking lock on a chain, not a solid metal door. Yeah. It's... God to me, To me, that's not a movie mistake. No, that's just someone being stupid and not knowing what they're talking about. Yep. Let me see. More camera reflection, more camera reflection, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I didn't ever notice this one, but this is right after Michael throws Bucky uh, into the power line. You can see his fake mustache starting to fall off as he hits the cables. That's not a fake mustache. That's just, you know, that's such, I mean, there's literally thousands of watts going through there. It is literally peeling the hair off of his face. Yeah, I like to see people go grab a fucking power generator and see how their skin gets affected. Or whoever came up with that is like, you know, when I was thrown into a power line, my hair on my face stayed perfectly still. It didn't move. It's like, how in the fuck would you know? Like, no, you're going to come out of that looking like Doc Brown. Exactly. Let's see. Camera reflection, camera reflection. That might seem to be about it. Wow. Wow. More of these are just... Out of sync audio, like, uh, I can safely say that Michael Myers is in your hands, but if you watch Slip, you can see the sound, and, you know, it's out of sync. You know, I give a fuck. Yep, it was still a cool line. I don't give a shit. And again, I never noticed almost 80% of these things in the first place, because I was too busy enjoying the movie. Yep, um, back in 2012, I actually, I went, um... I was out in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, out there, like, uh, doing some ski stuff, but uh, my wife actually was working an event out there through her company, and she asked if I wanted to go to Salt Lake. I said, well, fuck yeah. I'm like, you know, that's we're staying downtown. Uh, while you're working, I can go out and explore all the all the movie uh, sets and shit. And that's exactly what I did for an entire two days. And uh, I got probably four or five hundred pictures of various locations. And, uh, you know, the, the area where uh, Ted Hollister got shot up, you know, I got pictures of that. I got pictures of when they hit the top and said, there he is, you know, I got that. I got, you know, obviously the Carruthers house. I mean, every, everything that you can think of from four five and six, it was really cool being able to go find a lot of that shit and talk to a lot of these people that, you know, probably get, you know, from Halloween fans like us, people coming by randomly here and there 
answering probably the same questions over and over. I mean, they were just they were great sports about it too. I mean, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I I gotta I gotta dig those pictures up and figure out where I have them. But yeah, I definitely have uh, about four or five hundred pictures um, from that trip. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait to explore some film sets because I live in Georgia and I live on the edge of what well, it's Clayton County, Georgia, where they shoot copious amounts of shit. They shoot The Walking Dead here. They've shot Hunger Games here. Tyler Perry Studios here. I actually live around the corner from the high school where they shoot Stranger Things. Um, they shot Friday the 13th Part 6 a couple hours north of here. Um, so I really want to go explore some uh, Georgia movie sets. But now that you mentioned the Ted Hollister thing, I've always wondered when they're in the truck and they're like... There he is. Uh, how the fuck would they know what Michael looks like? He was six when he got locked up. He spent the entire day that he was out wearing a mask, and now he's wearing a mask again. So how could they just say, oh, there he is? Um, yeah, that's a great question, and to be honest, I, I'm, I'm going to speculate here. How I always took it is they were just a bunch of beer bellies running around with shotguns, as Meeker said, uh, but... At the same time, there was a curfew. Everybody was was, you know, supposedly behind locked doors. The way I always took it was anybody that was out roaming around in random places that could be him, and it was just them overreacting and just taking out everybody that was out there. Which is part of the reason why Meeker didn't want them out because you know he even said to Loomis, you know, you you just created a lynch mob, and he's like, you don't have a police force. These men may, may be the only hope that you have. So the way I always took it was it's just anything that they saw out past curfew, out in random places, they were going to fucking shoot up. And it's kind of like the purge, you know, you get this one night that you can go out and do anything that you want and there's not going to be any repercussion from it because they're trying to stop a fucking mass murderer. That's the way I always took it, at least. Now, that would be a good short movie. This is about all the people they shot up that night thinking they were liars. Yeah. I agree. What was your what what was your opinion on Ben Meeker? You know, obviously it wasn't Charles Cyphers and all that stuff. I don't know if they couldn't get him back or they just wanted to add some new blood. I have no idea. But what was your thoughts on Ben Meeker and Halloween's four and five? I always liked him, but you know, the way they describe Ben, you know, if aliens landed on Ben's doorstep he'd just spit once and grab a shotgun. I don't know. He seemed. He, I never got that. You know, small town sheriff kind of feel for him. He always seemed like I'm. I'm going to do everything in my fucking power to protect you people. Like I feel like he he did more than you know Bracket did in the sense of trying to stop this guy. Especially in five, I thought he was probably the most badass character. You know, in in some of these movies, from the way he just went out of his way to try to stop this guy. I would have loved to have had him back in six as well. But didn't happen. But you know, I just I I don't know. I I thought if they were trying to come up with someone to pass the torch to, I thought that he was a a very good likely candidate to because um, not only was he believable, um, you know, I I thought that he was a good actor in 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 the series, and I just I thought he was a great compliment to to the series, and I I would have loved to have seen him back in future sequels. Well, officially in canon, he died at the end of five. Yeah, I I know, and yeah, I mean, there's various cuts over the years, and I don't know why there's certain cuts where, like, especially in the CBS Fox video, 
release. I mean, you can clearly see him in there, but there's other cuts in various releases that don't have him in the in that cut. And I don't know if it was their intention to cut him out in case they wanted to use him for for future sequels or what the case was. I I don't know. You know, it's just I, mean, I was yeah, like you said, most of my home video releases, I've never definitively seen his body anywhere where I can be like, oh, that's me. Yeah, there was uh, the original home video release, uh, and I, I can't tell you right now. It's been, pff, we're in 2019, so it would have been like 22 years ago, maybe. Um, 30, no, no, gosh, no, 28 years ago um, since I've seen that original CBS Fox video release of it. Um, and I was 12, 13 at the time when I was, when I watched it. So I don't know. It's, um, I can't tell you exactly where it was, but there was one shot where you clearly saw him and it's like, Oh, well, fuck, he's dead. That sucks. And he definitely portrayed the don't fuck with my daughter kind of dad. Like when he told Brady, I kid you grow up with my daughter. I'll use that shotgun on you. I felt for Brady there. I was like, damn, he's going to fuck you up, kid. And yeah, and and to be honest, I always it's it like it was either a that he knew some shit was going down uh, between the two, but he just didn't have time to deal with it. And that little comment was like, "If we get through this, I'm gonna fuck you up," type thing, because he already knew that he that that they were fucking around. It's either that or he was just a dumb son of a bitch. I mean, like, who has a 17 year old boy over at their house and you're walking around in a t-shirt and panties and nothing's going on? Come on. Exactly. But again, like you said, didn't have the time. He probably didn't know he was over there because, again, he's supposed to be with Rachel, this this nice young girl and all this other shit. And his daughter's a town whore. Yeah. I'd like to live in that town. <laughs> Poor Wade. She would, she would make an excellent single mother. <laughs> a, good, a good future ex-Mrs. Moore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think I watched Halloween 4, like, it was right before puberty, but definitely during puberty, I think I got her pregnant, like, four times that I counted. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hate about a lot of the Halloween movies. There's very little nudity where there definitely should have been some. And I know we're not talking about resurrection today, but, uh, good God, how fucking Roll Tide was uh, Katie Sackoff back in 2002? I'm telling you. I mean, yeah, B- Bianca, yeah, for sure. But there was something about Katie Sackoff that, you know, I, I just love saying her name, Sackoff. But uh, there's something about her, man, that just every time I saw her on screen, I just mm, did something to me. It, get, it, get, it gets you going like uh, like the nurse in H2. Yep. And I know we'll probably, if you come back, uh, come back for Halloween 5, we'll talk about the uh, – about the shower scene that Rachel was in where you can see the outline of her bush, which I was like, hmm, nice. Dig it. Ah, the late 80s. Yep. You know, the only thing I I can think about and, you know, now as a 40-year-old man watching that scene is like, hmm, I wonder how that smelled back in 1989. (laughs) Good question. I just wonder, I wonder how the, uh, how the population felt about that at the time, like 
were they cool about it? Were the men waiting for 1992 to roll around? And we all, like Jordan Belfort said in Wolf of Wall Street, it's like the ball from the eyebrows down now. I don't know, man. It uh, was definitely, uh, definitely a different time. You know, it's like uh, I always go back to uh, if you ever saw the movie uh, Bulletproof with uh, Adam Sandler and Damon Wayans, when he's like, yeah, I can tell that this is a 70s porno because the guy's dick has sideburns. <laughs> I was definitely born in the right period of time. Yeah. All right, man. Will you have anything else, or is that going to do it for Halloween 4? No, that's about it, other than, again, you know, just the several camera visuals, you know, but, again, never noticed any of those. You know, it, it's going to happen here or there. You know, just kind of got to learn to live with it. Still, probably, like you said, the last good sequel. It's definitely my favorite sequel. I would agree. You know, and again, I consider Halloween's one and two pretty much the same movie. Halloween four is definitely uh, next on my list after that. Well, next week I will be out. Uh, there'll be no episode next week, uh, but in two weeks, going to come back and do Halloween five. So. Uh, you know, you said that that you're a big fan of that. Maybe if you'd like to come back, maybe you can come back and do Halloween five with me. And uh, I'm gonna try to get Brandon Zachman to do Halloween six with me. So, uh, you know, he hasn't been on the movie mistake retrospective yet, but I would definitely like to get him on for Halloween six, just because he and I huge Halloween six fans, and it would be great for that. So, you know, if you want to come back for the follow up Halloween five, the Revenge of Michael Myers, it'd be great. Um, one of the things I'm going to mention here, um, this is going to be kind of news dropping, is uh, there's going to be no more th- Throwback Thursdays. Um, first and foremost, it's the lowest, lowest, lowest rated uh, episodes out there. And it, sometimes it's not always about ratings, but you know, from what, what I'm understanding is, is I, I always like to pay attention to the pulse of the audience. Uh, so that we do more or less of of something else. And the last thing I want to do, especially being in the marketing realm that I'm in, um, I sell text marketing packages to restaurants, and I tell them, hey, you got to pay attention. What people are redeeming for their coupons, obviously you want to do more things like that. People that are just tuning certain things out, you want to just maybe slowly filter that stuff off. Uh, but what I had come up with is people love going back and listening to a lot of the old HMMAT stuff. So what I may do is I'm thinking about opening up a new anchor account and just taking all those episodes from HMMAT and just moving it there. So if anybody wants to go back, go for it. You know, um, they'll all be on under one umbrella and, you know, I still want to get on a every two week situation for a new subject uh, but maybe in the off weeks to take its place, maybe we'll do like some Q and a type type episodes or something, you know, it's, but definitely throwback Thursday is, is, is going away. It's just, it never caught on. Yeah. I definitely think that the HMAT thing would be pretty good. I, I keep pod being downloaded on my phone just so I can watch those or listen to those old episodes. Mm-hmm. And I would certainly love to come back and do part five with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so since I'm out next week, we'll probably plan two weeks from today to record it. If you're cool with that, if this is a good time time for you, and uh, then we'll try to get it out by the end of the week of that week. So um, 
Awesome, dude. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on. It was great uh, getting to know you a little bit and uh, looking forward to doing part five with you. Yes, sir. I appreciate you extending the offer for me to come on and, and let me do a little bit of self-promotion. Always, man. That's what this is about. It's it's about all of us as, as one and uh, growing the community through various means. You're doing it with your uh, with your video podcast and you know through your awesome group. And uh, I think that that that's going really, really, really well. And uh, you know, I'm trying to do it here through through uh, through a podcast. You know, uh, to talk about the series, talk about the masks, and uh, try to highlight different uh, artists and different things, and getting the words out there, man. We're all we're all in this together. We should all try to help help each other out. Oh yeah, and on that note, if you would allow me, I would love to plug your t-shirts. Oh God, yeah. You know, uh, by, by all means, because to be honest with you, you know, I, I do get a lot of messages, people asking, hey, man, you know, is there a way to get the get the ads taken out of the episodes? Well, yeah, we can. Um, the ads are actually the weeks that we don't have ads is the weeks that uh, a sticker or, you know, a tote bag or a cell phone case or a T-shirt or a poster, whatever it is. Uh, is actually bought and that's the only reason why we have the merchandise people love merchandise and uh ryan hogel's come up with some really nice nice pieces that uh, you can dis display proudly but also at the same time all the money actually uh goes back into the podcast so that we don't have to pay an ad subscription to be able to we can keep the show ad and sponsor free so that people are happier Oh, yeah, he's a fantastic artist. And if you want to see any of Chris's lovely merchandise, you can go to tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash chrism1229. Absolutely. So there's something there for everybody, I think. And, uh, you know, Ryan still have some has some other ideas that he's going to come up with, but we're trying to let things kind of simmer for a bit because, you know, we kind of hit people pretty hard there early on. But had to get some ad space paid for. So, uh, but it was great. And, uh, yeah, definitely head over, get yourself a shirt, sign up for their text marketing program. You get 30% off, uh, any and all merchandise. And there's a lot of independent artists on there, not just us. So, uh, definitely check out what you're looking for. They might have something. So if you're into those, uh, unique, funny tees, they have them. About to get me that uh, NWL style Wolfpack WMP shirt. Can't wait to to be sporting that. Absolutely, man! And uh, pretty soon um, we're going to come up with a with a black shirt, red lettering version that we're going to drop as well at some point. Um, but definitely, definitely uh, cool stuff. I I got I got my pair of shirts. I wear them to the gym, and I see people that you could tell that they're wrestling fans. They look at it and they're like. You can see the puzzled look on their face, like uh, that doesn't say NWO. What the hell is that? So it's actually it's kind of funny. Absolutely, and I'll go ahead and get out of your hair. But I'd just like to throw a shout out to all my admins at Horror Forever, Brandon Zachman, of course. You know him; he's a great dude, very helpful. Um, Joshua Deadman, Chris Benenkamp, Matthew Reed, and John McNeil. Appreciate all you guys and everything you do for me and the group. Well, I appreciate you letting me come on, Chris. This was definitely very fun. Anytime, man. And uh, we'll we'll see you again in two weeks or hear from you again in two weeks. Yes, sir. All right. Take care. You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. <laughs>